Hello, and welcome to Canadian Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who've already been there and what they did in your shoes. James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. My pleasure to be here for you. So James, for those of, for those of the listeners who don't know, who are you and how'd you get started in real estate investing? Yeah, you betcha. I'm James Canal. I'm the CEO of Realty Group. We're a group that has a headquarters in Edmonton and then another one in Vancouver. We do investment properties all over Western Canada. And I got started in investing when I was quite young, right out of university. I bought a house and rented out all the rooms to my buddies. And then my portfolio just snowballed from there. And over the last... 15 years, I've been adding property slow and steady to my portfolio, done single family. I own some multifamilies, development deals, and everything in between. Wow. Okay. That's quite impressive. Do you mind if I ask what strategy you're currently pursuing? So right now, I'm looking at purchasing condos in downtown Vancouver to convert into Airbnbs. That's what's on my acquisition agenda for the next probably six months just to add another item to our portfolio to diversify it even further. Sounds fair. How long have you been pursuing Airbnbs for? I've, I have a few that we converted to Airbnb in Edmonton, some that we converted from Airbnb back to monthly rentals as opposed to nightly rentals. And this is really our first crack at doing it at scale in Vancouver here. So there's okay. a huge, huge demand for them. There's only about a dozen buildings in downtown that still allow Airbnb. So it's a strategy where there's a good intersection of supply and demand, and I think it'll be really lucrative for us. <laughs> Sounds fair. Are you managing those yourself or do you have a property manager? We're going to self-manage the first one just to get the hang of it. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate goal is, you know, once we are in a comfort zone with it, we'll start outsourcing it at scale. <laughs> Sounds fair. Sounds good. So we'll hop into our first segment here. Sure. What was What was the best deal you've ever done? What was the plan and what went right or wrong? You know, I've done quite a few and I was thinking about the answer to that question when you briefed us at the start here. And I, I'll go with a recent one, a, re a really good deal that stuck out to me is I, I picked up a pair of skinny houses right during COVID. There were, you know, as we know at Edmonton, there is a whole boatload of just side-by-side -side skinny houses, suites in the basement. And there's a ton of them out in the West End where the West LRT expansion is going. So I always kind of kept my eye on the area. And there were a couple of them that, you know, they popped up and they were listed in the high 500s. And then as we got closer to winter, as is natural in Edmonton, the market starts to soften. So they went from high 500s to mid 500s to low 500s. And, uh, you know, I, we'd actually shown them to a bunch of our clients. Like I, I remember taking at least three or four buyers to have a look at them because I thought they were pretty good. And then they didn't sell over Christmas and I could tell that the vendor was getting pretty motivated. And, you know, I talked to them and said, how, how low realistically would you go? Because I'll buy both of them if you're willing to do a good enough deal. And they said no to 500. And then I just kind of forgot about it, went about my way. And then COVID hit and I thought, everybody's scared of buying right now. And uh, I, I personally didn't think we were on the verge of a zombie apocalypse. I figured it was going to be, I figured it was going to be a pretty rough quarter or two and then life would return to normal. And so I called them up and said, Hey, look, I'll, I'll take these two off your hands, but the price has got to be right. If, if you're willing to do 475 for each, you know, we got a deal. And they said, you know what? 
by the time this COVID thing works itself out, we're going to lose more money than that carrying costs. So sure, why not? And so I, you know, I got I got them probably for in the ballpark of seventy five to hundred k under list price, and they've been rented and cash flowing ever since. And you know what? I was foolish enough not to lock in our variable rate interest at the start of the year, so we we got slapped with increase with increased payments. But even then, they still cash flow because we just bought them so well that that they they work out they work out. So to answer the question about what's the learning, it's buy when everybody's freaking out. You know, it like the you always hear buy low, sell high, but the asterisk is buying low often looks ugly. You know, you're buying in a COVID market or the last really good buying opportunity was in 2015 when oil was at minus 20 a barrel and oh my God, the sky's falling. And at the time of the recording of this podcast, we're in a great buying opportunity. Interest rates are high and, you know, inflation's, inflation was high and now we're entering a recessionary period. The market's slowing down. Everybody's scary. There's no cash flow. You know, it's here we are in winter of 2022. It's a great buying opportunity, but it's ugly. You know, the interest rates are high. It doesn't it doesn't look good in the immediate short term. So, you know, when when it, it's a good buying opportunity, often it looks like a terrible idea until you zoom out and realize that, for the most part, really really crummy situations usually only last three to nine months. And I I think that this is going to be no different. The the rents are going to inflate. Interest rates are going to come down and everything will kind of work itself back out. So I think this is actually a great buying opportunity. And we're, we're taking advantage of that mindset to be buying in, in downtown Vancouver right now. So that, that to me was what I got out of that deal. Sounds fair. If it's okay, I want to dive in on a couple of things that you mentioned there. Yeah. You said that rents are going to go up and interest rates are going to come down. Why do you think that? Well, I mean, rents have gone up everywhere else in the country except for Edmonton. And so Edmonton typically lags behind Canadian trends. So, I mean, we've seen rents in downtown Vancouver go up by a thousand bucks a unit. You know, it's, so Edmonton's kind of a lagging measure of, of Canadian real estate as opposed to a leading measure like Vancouver and Toronto are. So I think, and the rents haven't really come up yet, again, mm -hmm. at the time of this recording. So depending on when the listeners are listening, it could be a different story. But at the time of this recording in, you know, winter of 2022, we really haven't seen the, the, the bulk of inflation yet. So it's lagging behind. I think it's going to catch up. And Edmonton hasn't really seen strong rental growth in almost five years. So we got a little pip at the beginning of the year when everything was going nuts and then kind of leveled off over the summer. But the, the inflationary pressure is going to catch up and, and rent is really the last thing to give. Utilities have gone up like crazy. So the price of energy has really spiked in Alberta. Our property taxes have gone up. The insurance has gone up. The cost of building materials and services to, to manage our rental properties has gone up. And now mortgage payments are going up like that. Those pressures are, are going to force rents up because the gap can't exist for too, too long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, interest rates are going to remain high. But I mean, the Bank of Canada, the reason they, the, what they use interest rates for is when the economy is hurting, they drop it to stimulate the economy. And when the economy is overheated, they raise it to slow the economy down. We're, we're slowly running into the molasses of high interest rates stalling out the economy. So the Bank of Canada isn't going to keep them high too, too much longer, um, just by basic economics. So I think we're, we're starting to hit the ceiling of the highest that they're going to get. And then, you know, a couple of quarters of, of recessionary pressure, and they'll start turning that valve back the other way. 
It sounds good. And I love the economic theory that that you laid out. Have you studied economics by chance? I mean, not formally in university, but I'm I'm a student of the macroeconomic forces that drive real estate. It sounds good. We, we might be talking more about that off air then. <laughs> awesome. Now, one of the other things that you did mention here is that deal that you bought was, I, th I think you said it was like 75 or $100,000 below list. Below the original list. So, I mean, they listed it. I mean, they listed it for the high fives at the beginning of 2019, and they were probably a little ambitious at the time. And so, I mean, the cautionary tale is as a seller, you know, if you list a little bit too high and then lower the price by not enough, you chase the market down, chase the market down, chase the market down. We see sellers do that every single summer, fall into winter in Edmonton. You know, this was no different. It's just that when we rounded the corner into spring market, we hit a brick wall that was COVID. And that, that created this, you know, we just, the seller, the sellers had nothing left and they just, they were just waving the white flag and I was in the right place at the right time. It sounds good. What kind of advice would you give to people so they can get into that right position as well? Just watch properties that you like. You know, I, I often will see properties, especially in Edmonton where the days on market is a bit longer. If there's a property, if you like the property and you don't like the price, just keep an eye on it because chances are, you know, real estate, it's easy as a new investor to get excited. Like, oh my God, I see it. I want to put it off or I want to buy it. But, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, that amount of time goes by in the blink of an eye. And so, you know, it feels like a long time to a seller that that's holding carrying costs. But, you know, as a buyer, if you're only going to buy one property or two properties a year. You've got room to be patient. And so, you know, just don't get too excited about buying something that doesn't really line up with what you need to see. So if you see something that checks every box, you know, it's like this property is a 10 out of 10, except I don't like the price. Keep an eye on it and keep an eye on a whole bunch of them at once. And you'd be surprised when the right opportunity presents itself. You know, it's like, okay, this property I've been watching just went through a 10K price drop. Let's see if we can get another 10K off list price. And there's, there's 20K off of what the last list price was, you know, that those, those sorts of things happen more often than you think. Mm -hmm. That in my experience, anyways, that also shows motivation. So I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Sounds good. So we'll switch gears here a little bit. What was the worst deal you've ever done? What was the plan and what went right or wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the worst deal we ever done would have started out as the best deal we would have ever done, except it turned into the worst deal we ever did. So we, this is right when we were getting into multifamily, we, we did the the classic buy an underperforming building renovate it refinance it so you know we bought a building it was about two and a half million dollars we raised all the rents but put, spent a bunch of money on it refinanced it at like 3.3 million took that five hundred thousand dollars pulled it out rolled it into the next purchase did it again made another you know three four hundred thousand pulled it out rolled it into the next purchase and the idea was that you know and so when we pull that money out, where you're basically pulling out a line of credit. So we've got the initial mortgage at like two to 4% in those days. And then the refinance money was at like, you know, seven to 9% second mortgage. That's not what interest rates are right now at the time of this recording, but that's what they were back then. So, you know, we've got pretty, pretty heavy payments. The buildings are cash flowing. Things are all good, but we were like, I mean, we were leveraged on leveraged on leverage that, that whole portfolio was close to like 95 to 97% loan to value by the time we had built this house of cards where we pulled more equity out to put into the next deal, pulled more equity out, put into the next deal. And, you know, we kept saying to ourselves, okay, on the next one, 
we're going to shore everything up, refinance everything on one blanket loan with CMHC, and then ride it out. But then we kind of got deal hungry, and it was like, well, let's just refinance again and, and, and do one more deal. That was back in 2014, and then when 2015 hit, oil prices started to plummet, rents started to plummet. And then all of the sudden, all of the sudden, the rents we had weren't sufficient to make the payments on the portfolio as a whole. And then simultaneously, the lowered rents lowered the net operating income, which lowered the value of the portfolio, which made it impossible to refinance. So we ended up slogging through with our partners a couple of years of just like awful, awful negative cash flow, unable to refinance. And, you know, we, we ended up putting several hundreds of thousands of dollars collectively as a group to float the portfolio, which sounds like a lot, but I mean, the portfolio is worth about $12 million. So as a percentage of the portfolio, it wasn't too bad from a percentage perspective, but from a, like the size of the checks we all had to write really sucked. <laughs> so the learning in that is, you know, I always, I always tell investors now, like be very, very careful with leverage. Everybody wants the vendor take back the agreement for sale, less money down, borrow your, borrow your down payment as a line of credit, but less money down equals more payments. And in environments like this, I mean, you know, somebody who was on a roll doing burrs over the summer where you do a burr, pull the equity out, do the next one, pull the equity out, pull, do the next one. If you're on variable products or had lines of credit involved in that strategy, the interest rates jacking up, I bet there's, there's some really hurting people out there right now who have too big of a portfolio with too much debt on it and the payments are just sucking them dry. And that was us. So luckily myself, my business partner and our investors all had pretty strong incomes, but I, I, I would have much rather spent that money on something other than feeding negative cash flow properties for those couple of years. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, there is a philosophy out there that if you put zero down, your return on investment becomes infinite because when you divide by zero, it's infinite. Oh my God, I'm a genius. But you stop looking like a genius really, really fast when those interest payments catch up to you. So, you know, I tell people, if you're going to go anything less than 20% down, be extra, super, 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 super careful, and then put an extra dose of caution on top of that, because it's really easy to get smacked with, with over leverage. And lo and behold, the environment that we're in right now is hurting people that is over leveraged. So respect leverage a lot and don't get caught up in the hype of $5,000 down or 5% down or vendor take back this or borrowed money that the more you borrow, the more risk you have. And anybody who's telling you otherwise is in my opinion, a little reckless. Absolutely. There's actually a term that we use in appraisal called degree of operating leverage. And for all the listeners out there, I do highly recommend you go check that out to, to see exactly what James is talking about here. So James, how much do you recommend people do leverage on their properties? Anything, anything less than 20% down. I think you're, you're playing with fire. Yeah, that's fair. Are you, are you still in that? You said it was a $12 million portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we still have those properties. Like the market came around, the rents came back up and I mean, the silver lining was we were able to do the refinance with CMHC before the interest rates jacked up. So we've got that whole portfolio locked in at a fixed rate of like 1.7%. So there was a happy ending, but it wasn't a fun journey. <laughs> That's very fair. So how did you come across this portfolio? Oh, well, we bought it one at a time. We, we made a portfolio out of it. So, I mean, ah. we bought the first building. The first building, a realtor friend of mine said they had a building they might be listing. Did we want to take a look at it before they put it on the market? Yes, we did. It worked out. Second building was listed on MLS. And then the third building, when we were in full-on acquisition mode, we actually, I mean, we called every property manager in town. We were calling owners, like 
there aren't that many apartment buildings. So we just rolled up our sleeves and started going direct to the people that know the owners or to the owners themselves. And somebody said, yeah, I got this one. I'm willing to unload. And we picked that one up. So that was, I, I don't actually remember if it was a property manager that introduced us to the owner or if we pulled title and looked them up, but it was, you know, something, something a little gritty like that, where we, you know, we did some detective work to figure out who the owner was and got to them direct. How would our listeners be able to contact a current owner directly? Well, step one, pull title, figure out who the owner is. If it's corporately owned, which it likely will be, then you have to pull the corporate register to figure out who the directors are. You'll get their mailing addresses. And then, you know, through various, various Google magic, you can often track people down LinkedIn, Facebook, social media, home addresses, you know, this, it takes a minute, but it's, you know, if it, once you get the hang of it, you, it's. You know, nine out of 10 people, you can track them down from at least one channel of communication if you're willing to put in the time. Sounds fair. I've never tried Google Magic, so I might have to try that here in the future. <laughs> Sounds good. I really like that term, by the way. So looking back on it, what's something that you would do differently on that deal? You know, I would have leveraged less. I think as as new investors, we get the idea in our head that a potential partner isn't going to say yes unless we put crazy high a return on investment out there. And, you know, often the difference between 15% down and 20% down is like three or 4% per year of return on investment. And as I become a more mature investor, I find that investor partners in real estate deals, as long as, as soon as it hits double digits, they're often happy. So, you know, if you're adding additional risk for yourself and for your partner, for the sake of getting an ROI from 12% to 16%, they don't care as much as you think. And it's less risk in the deal holds so much value if you're able to tangibly explain how important that decrease in risk is. So, you know, as young investors, we were like, oh, we got to show sky high ROI for any to catch anybody's attention, which we did. But that sky high ROI came at less, less investment, more leverage, more risk. And we, we paid the price for that risk. So, you know, now when I do real estate deals, it's like we take it easy. We never do less than 20% down and we haven't found it's really impacted our ability to raise capital at all. It sounds fair. Is there a way that you guys do risk assessment when you are looking at buildings now? I mean, we stress test. We, we see what happens if we jack up the interest rates. We see what happens if the rents drop for whatever reason. Those are, and you know, it's like push it further than you think it's going to go. At, at the beginning of the year, if you would have told most people the interest rates at the end of the year are going to be pushing 6%, they said, nah, we're going to stress test to 4%. So like keep going because it can get worse than you think. You know, when we stress tested those buildings, the rents went lower than we imagined they would have in a worst case scenario. And we still got that worst case scenario. So it was, you know, it's, it's humbling to see just how bad it can get. Sounds fair. <clears throat> do you mind if we hop into a brand new segment we're rolling out here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. What are three things that most people don't know about you? Well, what they don't know about me, I think that I'm a very very i'm pretty boring i'm pretty boring i i go to bed at 10 i wake up at six i don't really drink that much and you know when i was younger i used to be up late sleeping in partying all the time so it's that's a bit of a, a diversion from how i used to operate another thing people don't know about me is that i'm actually i'm really into cooking i'm a pretty darn good cook i don't brag about it very much because then people want to invite me over for dinner and, and take put my skills to the test so i keep my cooking to myself for the most part but there's a little tidbit and the third thing that people don't know about me, oh gosh, 
I'm a pretty open book, but another thing that I do that people might not necessarily know about is I'm really, really big on journaling and, and meditating. And I spend actually quite a bit of time every day writing and reflecting and meditating, like probably hour and a half a day in total at various points throughout the day on that. So I'm not a spiritual guy, but I mean, I know for some of our Muslim listeners, depending on which subsect you're a part of, you know, you go to prayer multiple times a day. I don't really do prayer, but I, I do a lot of mindfulness. And I think it's, it's a very powerful tool for how I operate. Sounds fair. Do you find that helps you throughout the day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing that it does is it increases your capacity to deal with the challenges that are associated with real estate. Like, um, I'd say the, the best way to describe it is it turns bad days into bad minutes. It turns bad weeks into bad days. It turns bad months into bad afternoons. You know, it just, it shortens the amount of time that crappy things linger in your brain. You know, because I mean, I know some people where like if you if like and when it rains, it pours like, you know, you drop your phone and it breaks and then you get a speeding ticket and then you get to the office and a client cancels the thing. And then this happens and you're like, man, those three hours just broke my brain. And some people can let that ruin their whole week. And that's the kind of stuff like it a lot more rolls off my back and it's it's easy to just go on to the next thing. I'm glad to hear it. I also heard a, a rumor that you enjoy white water rafting. Uh, I've been. <laughs> I don't know where that rumor came from. I, I went one time. So okay. there's, there's definitely, I think there's a picture on my Instagram of me in a whitewater raft waving for the photo op. But the, the adventures that I get into involve going down the side of a mountain fast. So it's a mountain bike in the summer, skiing in the winter, and just being on the mountain ripping around is, is my idea of a good time. <laughs> Sounds fair. Oh, I'll leave the adventuring to you, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. The more I can get, the better. Sounds good. So <clears throat> what advice would you give to new investors in your area who are looking to scale their business? I mean, I'd say if you're looking to scale your business, you're probably not a new investor anymore. You're probably turning the, the page into a, at least an amateur to medium investor. But let's, let's go for all the brand new investors out there who are listening. My advice is, is take whatever it is that you're going to do. Say that you want to buy a house. Don't worry about the end goal. Worry about the steps to get there. So, you know, you want to do a joint venture. Don't fixate on the joint venture, obsess about it, and then panic that it's not happening. If you want to do a joint venture, then set a mini goal of sitting down for coffee and talking to one person per week about real estate. And, you know, it might take you five of those conversations. It might take you 50. But if you focus on one conversation a week instead of, oh, my God, I don't have a joint venture yet, it makes it way easier to just keep moving in the right direction. And before you know it, you'll accomplish a lot of big stuff. Great advice. Absolutely love it. I know, I think it was Confucius who said the man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I mean, it's there's so many great analogies that, that talk about taking the big thing and breaking it into just repetitively doing small parts. But I still find people people look at the peak of the mountain and, and forget that it's just made of pebbles. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful advice. Thank you, sir. Hey, my pleasure. Perfect. So... Just before we wrap up here, yeah, how can people get a hold of you? Well, I, I mean, I'm very active on Facebook. I mean, I'm an elder millennial, so that's my platform of choice. Probably not TikTok, so it's you know James Joseph Canal on Facebook. At M O G U L R G is our handle on all social media platforms. Or, I mean, the thing I check first in the day before I check anything else is still my email. So James at mogulrg.com. That's M O G U L R G.com.
Perfect. Well, James, thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a total blast being on your podcast.